Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Because of his great love, we have a savior who had compassion on a crowd, so he multiplied their food. With a righteous attitude, he died on the cross to subtract our sins. We've been added into the family of God all because of his great love. Yet sometimes we have a tendency to exclude. I call it long division because our partiality is not always obvious and is sometimes a slow burn of a flame carried over from a culture sparked by fear and convinces us that the other is not worthy of love. We know that we all bleed red, but we might be tempted to only favor those who support blue or whose skin is a different hue. We know that God has a backwards kingdom where the poor of this world have been chosen to be rich in faith, but we might think that those with a greater income somehow deserve the most dominion. Have we made distinctions among ourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? We know the saying goes that all that glitters is not gold, but how often do some determine the value of a brother or sister based on the sum of their clothes. We think we are doing well in loving our neighbors as ourselves, but we cannot pick and choose who we consider our neighbor to be. We cannot pick and choose who we want to serve and love remembering that even Judas had his feet washed too. So, following the example of our Christ, let's subtract any speech, behavior, or mindset that impedes us from loving all our neighbors equally. Let's add to our prayers a request to the Holy Spirit to help us love as Christ loves and to see all people as the Father does. Let us multiply in love because our Savior has already torn down the dividing wall of hostility. So let's not rebuild it with our biases, our favoritism, our preferences, or our partialities. Well, that won't be easy to follow, but I'm going to try. Uh, this is week five, series called That's a Good Word. Solid advice for life in an unstable world. Today we're looking at James 2. We're going to go from verses 1 to 13. And one of the things I try to do, I feel responsible, obligated to do, is to tell you about really good books that are going to help you, help you grow in your faith. Uh, but I want to let you know about this book. It's called Free Indeed, Heroes of Black 
Christian history. If you're into missions, you're thinking about doing that, this book is going to inspire you to want to engage in that. If you want to see how a church can make a difference in a community, uh, this book is going to help you. And if you want to see the beautiful things that God did through even the ugliness of slavery and the, the sinfulness of sort of that Jim Crow South, this book will open your eyes to just powerful people that God, powerful ways that God worked through different people. And in this book that I finished a couple of weeks ago, I don't know where to put it right now, so I'm just going to put it right here, was this quote I saw by Charles Tindley, one of the pastors that is talked about. It said, we have the Bible, the Holy Bible, the infallible revelation of an unerring and immutable God. Its truth are, all, are, are applicable to all people during all times. No one can go wrong following the truth of the Bible. You cannot go wrong if you follow truly what God says. And today, we have a word, I believe, from God. And if we follow what the Lord says, I think we're going to love each other well. And the title of the message today is, that's a good word about the sin of partiality. That's what I want to talk to us about today, partiality. And in Acts chapter 10, it says this, Acts 10, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Now, it helps for us to understand the context of this. Peter here is a Jewish man talking to Gentiles, people who are not like him. And he's talking to them because God says, Peter, I made those people. They're made in my image and you need to go and talk to them. You need to go over there and tell them the gospel because I love them just as much as I love you. And so Peter shows up and he talks. The brother opens his mouth. He says, God shows no partiality. But in every nation, under anyone who fears him, here's a good word coming now for the unbeliever, Anyone who fears him, that means they respect God. They believe God is who he says he is. They believe God is the creator of the world, the universe, that he is in charge, guiding all things. Everyone who fears him and does what is right. What's right? All that I just said. You believe that God is the creator of the universe. You believe that we have sinned against God, but you believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, to live the life we could not live. You believe the gospel. You do what is right. What does he say? Is acceptable to him. You see that? No partiality. Jew and Gentile can be welcomed into the family of God and to live in unity. I always try to give us one thing to take away from the word each week. Here's the one thing I want. Here's our big takeaway today. God shows no partiality and he expects his people to do the same. That's it. He expects his people to do the same. Watch this, Leviticus. Go into the Old Testament on you. 19, verse 15, do not pervert justice, this is God talking, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. You could just put the word rich there. 
but judge your neighbor fairly, God says. That's the word. Now, James is writing to a bunch of people who are showing all kinds of partiality. And he says to them, stop. And he gives them two good reasons to stop. I want us to see in the message today, my aim today is I want us to see that when we show partiality, it hurts image bearers. It hurts people made in the image of God. I want us to see in the word today that when we show partiality, that it divides the church. It splits the church in two. And then I want us to see that it angers God for some very specific reasons. So chapter two, verse one says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So again here James says, brothers, my brothers and sisters. When you read the letter all over the place, he's calling them brothers, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters. If you just, just go through the letter and pay attention to that. And you're like, why is he saying that? Why does he keep calling them my brothers, my sisters, my brothers? Well, he's saying something hard to them. The letter, it's a bit of a hard word. And so what does he do? He keeps reminding them how much he loves them. So he's saying a hard word, but he's like, I love you. See, when people know that you love them, when people know that you're down for them, when people know that you're in their corner, they'll receive a hard word from you because they know the heart that it's coming from. And so he says, I love you. But here are some things that you gotta get right. Then he says, show no partiality. The NIV translates this better. It says, believers must not show favoritism. The way Dennis Brown says love and hate can never be friends. James says faith and favoritism cannot coexist. They don't go together. That's what he's trying to say to us. And then notice that he calls Jesus the glorious Lord. Now, I don't know how you talk about your siblings. But James loves his brother. Loves him. And I want to show you why. He loves him. And we should love him. Why? Because he's a humble servant. He's our sinless substitute in my place. Jesus on the cross. He is our exalted Lord. Jesus is ruling and reigning. He is on the throne. He is the coming king. He will return. And the Holy Spirit's just sort of leading me right now, so I'm just going to say this because it's not up there. He is our high priest interceding on our behalf. I don't know about you, but I need Jesus praying for me every day because it's a mess up here. He's our high priest interceding, and he is our impartial savior. Let me show you, Luke. I can wait for it. Luke 2, 8. 2, verses 8. And in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. Fear not. You have nothing to fear. 
Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now the text doesn't say some people. All types of people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What James wants for the church is for us to live like our impartial Savior. Now, the Greek word here, I'm getting a little technical on you. The Greek word for favoritism literally means to receive the face. And so what James is saying here, it means when they, the person comes in, they're making a judgment about them based on appearance. That's what partiality is. It's, a, it's judgment based on appearance. And so he tells them, this is what not to do, and then he tells them why. Verse 2. For if a man, he's in... If a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and says, you sit there in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Verse four, have you not then made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Two people come in, one gets a nice seat, one gets a bad seat. And it's all based on their appearance. The gold ring in this culture was a symbol of wealth. The, when he says that the, the clothes was fine, it actually means in, in, the, in the original, it means the clothes was bright and shiny. So you, there was no doubt when you saw them come in what the look was and where the money was. And then he says a poor man comes in with shabby clothing. That word shabby actually says that the, the clothes were filthy. They were mismatched. They were smelly. They were stained. And so one person gets a seat of honor. The poor man literally gets sat on the floor, the text says, on a stool at their feet. That's where he gets to sit. And then James says, have you not made a distinction? Again, the NIV does it a little better. It says, have you not discriminated among yourselves? The answer is yes. See, James tells us to show no partiality because it's an act of discrimination. That's why he says avoid it. And then he says in verse four, have you not become judges with evil thoughts? James is saying, you are acting like an evil judge. When somebody could not sit somewhere and have a drink because of the color of their skin, the person who made that law, the Bible says was acting like an evil judge. When somebody had, couldn't go to the bathroom somewhere because of the color of their skin, the Bible says that person was acting like an evil judge. We should never think that the Bible doesn't speak on those things. It does. It's right there in the text. With evil thoughts. 
Then he tells us what discrimination does. Verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the, the, the rich the ones who are oppressing you and the ones who drag you into court? Are not the, not the ones that blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? What they're doing makes no sense to James. He's saying you're siding with people who are oppressing you. You're siding with people who are dragging you into court. You're siding with people who are, who are blaspheming the name of your Savior. No sense to him what they're doing. And then the brother just gives it to them plain. Verse 6, you have dishonored the poor man. They shamed him. That's what it does. When we discriminate, we shame people. That's why we avoid it. Because it shames people and it angers God. I want to show you why it shames and why it angers God. Because it contradicts the character of God. When somebody, when somebody acts in this way, they're saying God's like this. He's like, I'm not. Because it implies that some people have less worth. That's why it, it angers God. It says, it says you are less. It robs people of the dignity they deserve. And this one, it insults our maker. It insults the maker. Proverbs, you guys are killing it back there. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man, there it is, insults his maker. It's right in the text. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. Insults our maker. Verse five, James says, God chooses the poor to be rich in faith. To be rich in faith means you know the Lord well. To be rich in faith means you have deep trust in God. Now I want to clarify something here because the way James is talking, it almost makes it sound like God has a problem with people who have money. That he has some sort of beef with people who are rich, but that's, that's not the case. What James is trying to do here is give you a general truth. He's making a, a general truth. See, God is on the, when you read scripture, you get this sense that God does have a heart for the poor, that he's on the side of the poor, but he does save the rich just the same. And the, and the rich aren't the only ones who persecute believers. They're not the only ones who blaspheme the name. God saves the rich. You're like, give me some examples, Marv. Fine. Lydia, rich, used powerfully to advance the mission and the gospel and the ministry of Paul. Job had lots of money, rich, loved God. His children are out doing their thing and he's just like, you know what, let me just go, go, go to God for them. Let me just go pray on them because I don't know what they've been up to. Loved God. Zacchaeus, remember that short man? Brother had to climb a tree. Saved. Jesus goes to his house and he's like, 
How can I live differently now that I know you as Savior? And he tells him what to do. God saves the poor, saves the rich, and he tells them what to do with their money. First Timothy says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on, on, on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, watch this, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future. There's a, there's a treasure that can be stored in heaven that cannot be touched. That's going to be delivered to you if you act with generosity, if you're rich in good works, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. God blesses the rich with money to make them a blessing. That's why he gives it to them. So he saves the rich, he saves the poor. Verse five, again, James says, the poor are heirs of the kingdom. They got something coming to them. I said this in one of the sermons, I can't remember when it was, but I said better days are ahead. That's true. Heirs of the kingdom. And I wanna make sure we're clear on this, that it's not just any poor, Look at the text. Those who love him. Those who love him. Those who trust God. Those who come to God for grace and forgiveness. Those who say, I need you as a savior. I have done wrong. I have, I have walked away from you, but I need you. That's the, that's the poor. Those who love him. And this theme of the kingdom it runs all the way through scripture. And I wanna give you an overview, then I wanna show you how this all ties together. So here's an overview of the kingdom. The kingdom speaks of God's universal rule over a particular group of people. Universal, particular group. Here's another thing. The church is not the kingdom. It's the embassy of the kingdom. So the church is a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom has come in Jesus. Mark 1 says, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel and I put this on there and it says, here's the word again for the unbeliever. Repent and believe the gospel. That there's something bigger going on than you sometimes see. And that there's a door that is open that Jesus Christ has said, if you repent of your sin, if we repent, we can enter into the kingdom of God. And so the word for us today is to believe and to repent, to trust and say, I need that gospel, that old gospel, that save, savior we all need. Turn and repent. So the kingdom has come and we can get in. The kingdom is growing. Jermaine said amen earlier. A whole bunch of you should have said amen right now. The kingdom is growing. 
Mark 4. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how. The kingdom of God is growing. You're like, even in this unstable time, Marv? Yes. God is working, saving people. Satan cannot stop the work that God is doing. The, the strong man has been bound and Jesus is snatching people from the, from the darkness and bringing them into the light and putting them in the family of God. I've said this before in a sermon before and I'll bring it back because I like it. You can't stop kingdom growth because you cannot stop the king. God is working, the kingdom is growing, even if you don't see it, but one day you're gonna see it beautiful, this massive, beautiful tree that we're all gonna sort of be a part of just to try to give you a picture. Satan can do nothing to stop Jesus. If he wants a heart, he has the heart. I said this again, just giving him body blows as he does his work. And that should encourage the believer that even though it's messy, that even though we don't know sometimes what the government is doing, that we don't know how some people are gonna react to a different vaccine, all this kind of stuff, we don't know what's gonna come today or tomorrow, but we know God is working, that we're involved in something bigger, that the kingdom is growing, and that one day we're gonna see it and experience it fully. That's the last one. The kingdom of God will be consummated at the return of Christ. Sometimes I have to ask myself this hard question. Do I actually believe Jesus is coming back? You ever catch yourself just sitting there, Phil, on your bed? Are you wondering, do I believe that? I read it, I say amen. But do I really believe that one day, that like the song says, the scroll the, the, the sky's gonna be rolled back like a scroll, the trumpet's gonna sound and brother's gonna show up and it's gonna be a party. Do I believe that? Because you should. I think there's another verse. There it is, Matthew 25. And when the son of man comes in his, as my grandma would say, glory. And all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right. But the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, 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 you who are what? blessed. Just marinating in it a little bit. You who are blessed by my Father, why? Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Something bigger. Working, going on in the background. We can't lose sight of the fact that our Father is working, doing his thing. And that day is coming, Phil. And we're gonna to be together on that day. That's gonna be a good day. And we're gonna inherit the kingdom prepared for 
us. It will be consummated. And this kingdom, hear me on this, will be full of people who are rich, full of people who are poor. It'll be full of people from all different types of people groups. And you know what there'll be? No partiality, only love. And so James says, just get busy doing it now. Just show no partiality now. Practice what you're going to. You're going to a place of love. So just love one another now. Treat each other with respect and dignity. Do good to one another now. Partiality splits the church community into. It creates hierarchy. It says some people are more important than others and it hurts when we allow that to happen. And that's the, that's the sin we should never let into our church family. One of the things I love about our church is that it's full of all kinds of different people. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Because when we rub up against one another, we, we get to know things about each other's culture. We get to know the things that make us a little bit different, but we, then we remember the things that we have in common. That yes, there's differences, but we're family. And that God actually wants us to rub up against one another so we can learn and grow and change and see some of the wrong ways that we think about each other and repent of that. And so we never let that sin into our church. Verse eight says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do commit adultery but do, if you do not, sorry, commit adultery but do murder, you have become transgressors of the law. James says, when you're tempted to show partiality, when you're tempted to play favorites, remember that there is a command to obey. And when you break this command, you break all the commands because it's connected. And notice that he calls it the royal law. The royal law. Now why does he do that? He does that because it's the law of the kingdom. He does that calls it the royal law because it belongs to the king. And then he tells us what it is. He says, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. To love your neighbor as yourself. See, what James is doing here is he's just telling us what his brother told us. He just said, He's, he just said, my, my older brother said this, I'm telling you. He said it, I'm saying it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus said, he actually did. You look at the life of Jesus. The whole, his entire life was an act of love. Love towards God, love towards his neighbor. And so we follow him. See, James tells us to show no partiality because it breaks the law of love. It breaks the law of love. And he says, when we are obeying, we are doing well. 
But when we disobey, he's very clear. We are committing sin, the text says, and we are convicted by the law. Again, he's just trying to be very clear to this church and to us. Don't go down this road. And to help us avoid it, he says what to do. Verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That phrase, so speak and so act, what James is saying here is, show mercy towards the poor in what you say, Show mercy towards the poor in what you do, your actions. And wherever you see the sin of partiality, discrimination, speak up on it. If you see it in the church, don't allow it. Speak in such a way that you said, this is a place of mercy and so we can't have that going on. So speak and so act. The way our calendars give us reminders, James is giving us a reminder. And the reminder is what he said in verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's a call to obedience, to do the word. He says in verse 13, judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. See, the partiality that they are carrying out is the opposite of mercy. It's an unmerciful action. And what he's saying is, if you don't show mercy now, you should not expect mercy later. That's what he just, again, I like James because he's just plain. Sometimes you're like, he seems like he's like, you know, set something up here and it seems like he's turned the corner and is doing something different. But when you're listening real close, he's a blunt brother. He's just giving it to them plain. The way a restaurant warns you when the floor is wet and you know those yellow signs, right, with the little man on it. The way the restaurant warns us James is warning the church. He's saying, if you behave like this, you shouldn't expect different treatment later. And you're like, well, why does he say that? Again, I said this last week, and I think if we catch this, we will understand this book so much. Verse 18. You have been brought forth by the word of truth. And so James says, if that is true, then you will heed this warning. And if you heed this warning then it will say the Holy Spirit has actually brought you to new life. That you are truly changed. But if you don't heed the warning, you don't repent, then your faith is not real. The book is all about that. Real faith. Pastor Dennis is going to speak next week and he's going to talk about faith. A good word on faith. Because that's what James is after. He wants real faith. And real faith is revealed in actions. And so he's saying, if you don't show mercy now, don't expect it later. So he warns them, which is good, 
but he also gives hope. There's a warning. You can come on up now, Lori. There's a warning, but there's also a giving of hope. And you're like, Marv, where's the hope? Well, I, I think I say this almost all the time. There it is, Pastor Yogi. It's in the text. You want to find it? It's in the text. Verse 13. For judgment without mercy is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Here it is. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What James is saying is mercy is available. Mercy is here. He's saying, you're acting without mercy. What you're doing is an unmerciful action. It's sin. But if you stop, if you stop behaving this way, if you repent, you will experience mercy, grace, and forgiveness from God. And you know why? Because God is merciful. That's who he is. That's his character. He is good that way. God demands mercy James says, but he also reminds us that God shows mercy, that he's a merciful God. He is not asking for something that he didn't give himself. And what he wants is for us to live like our Savior. Remember I said, God shows no partiality, expects his people to do the same. Luke 6 says, be merciful, even as your father is merciful. There's that word again, father. Talked about it. All of our life has lived before our father who looks on us and says, make me proud. Who looks on us and he says, live like me. Who looks on us and he says, be merciful like me. And when we show mercy, do you know what it says? When we choose to be merciful, when we choose to be these kinds of people, when we choose to live a life free of partiality, you know what it says? It says, the spirit of Jesus Christ is in us. When we choose to be merciful, it says our faith is real. When we heed the word, living like our Father. And then it gets even better. When we see that in ourselves, do you know what it does? It actually makes us not fear judgment. That where some people look at that day and they look on it with fear, we look to that day with joy. We look to that day where the sheep and the goats are separated. One person's foot over here and one person's foot over there. We, we're going to be on the side of, on the right. Enter into the joy. We look on that day with joy, with faith. And do you know why? Because when we behave in a merciful way, it shows that we realize that we have experienced mercy. That we've been given mercy. And so we turn around and we want to give it. And then... It puts us in this place where we know that at the end, when I'm standing at the judgment, 
because my faith is real, because the spirit of Jesus is in me, I will have Jesus as my advocate. He'll be standing with us on the day of judgment. The one who perfectly fulfilled the law. James constantly keeps mentioning that word in this text, the law, the law, the law. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. And he showed no partiality, zero. And he says to us, do the same. Can we get that big takeaway back up on the screen real quick? God shows no partiality and he expects his people to do the same. Let's get busy doing it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. And God, you're somebody who you rescued, Brother Tindley, Lord, who said we cannot go wrong when we follow your word. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us to follow it. Lord, I pray that we would truly believe that the things that you have said, the things that we have heard today are true, are right, and good. And Lord God, I pray that we would walk in it. And so I pray that you would bless us as we seek to love and live in impartial ways to those around us. We pray that we would reflect our Savior in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.